Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to talk to you today. Uh, It is May 7th, and I don't know how many days we are into the COVID virus quarantine in California, but we are still quarantined, and uh, I have with my guest, I think an unquarantined person, uh, which which is why he's (laughs) going to be be. on the show. (laughs) Of course, he is distancing himself by a few thousand uh, miles. This is Mark, my good friend, Mark Murnan, and fellow uh, National Association of Legal Investigators CLI person. Hi, Mark. Hey, Welcome. Hi, Francie. <laughs> so I guess uh, you guys are, are out of quarantine in the state of Florida, right? Uh, well, we're in the epicenter, kind of? whatever an epicenter is in a, you know, a three-county, a tri-county region with eight million people. We're the, quote, epicenter, but we're kind of the north end of the epicenter. Uh, Fort Lauderdale right. and Miami uh, are probably under more rigid restrictions, and we are still not yet in phase one, but you, you can see kind of a lightening of the load. The parks have started to open up. The mm-hmm. beach is technically off limits, but, you know, you just jump over the, you know, crime scene tape and you're on the beach, so... Uh, but people have been very good. I'm very impressed. <laughs> you jump over the crime scene. Take this. Take me around the beach. You know, take your surfboard. You know, these young people. But uh, yeah. it's, it's a little more rigid. But we're we're starting to see some uh, starting to see some daylight. The numbers have uh, kind of steadied off. Thank goodness, and we're very very grateful. So, uh, but uh, you know, it's it's the traffic has been really really light. So I've enjoyed mm. that part of it. That is definitely a plus. I have enjoyed oh that as well. And, uh, and, and from what I understand, uh, California is probably going to be opening soon, but not in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area. We're not going to open. No, so, no. Nor mm-hmm. in L.A., nor in L.A., I guess. Or nor, nor in L.A., correct. Correct. So, yeah. anyway, no, but we have fun with Zoom calls and, uh, you know, online meetings, and and you're here on the show. There you go. That's, you know, that's and I'm, what we do. I'm actually wearing I'm actually wearing clothes, so I just I want that on the record here. So <laughs> the Zoom the Zoom calling has left people certain people exposed in ways they never imagined. Uh, yes, as I was telling you <laughs> offline, I've had a couple of Zoom calls where my husband has crossed the path in his skivvies <laughs> making a show. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen uh, when you're on video, yeah. which is why we're not on video, by the way. <laughs> so, anyway. We all sound better. I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a face for radio, so we're good. We're good. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Me too, Mark. Me too. Amen. Uh, so, today we're going to talk about the difference in skip tracing where you're tracking somebody down and actually finding where they are, yeah. their location. So uh, you've written a great article on this, Mark, and I, you know, I thought I thought this was a real valuable topic because there is a huge difference. You know, mm-hmm. just because you've located somebody's address doesn't mean they're there. Correct. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. And I yeah, and I think that's I think that's one of the distinctions uh, as as I see it between. Uh, process servers and private investigators. Um, I, I've written on this some for an ebook that I did on marketing to plaintiff attorneys. Who, uh, in my experience over the years, there, there's there because because there's always a tight budget, or there's sometimes a tight budget. You know, they want the they want a uh, a process server to find somebody, uh, but uh, sometimes that person doesn't want to be found, or has mm-hmm. made it very very difficult. And then a process server, I, I call it the bottom of the stack. Uh, if you understand how the uh, the economics of uh, of the two revenue streams between a private investigator and a process server, uh, private investigators we bill by the hour, generally a, right. a pretty good rate depending on where you're at, right. uh, and process servers uh, charge by the transaction. Right, and that's so there's true. A, there's yeah, there's a difference. So if you're if you got a guy who's who can make fifty dollars for every paper, a guy or a gal who's who can make fifty dollars for every paper they serve, and your defendant or witness is particularly hard to find, guess where your paper goes? Mm-hmm. It goes to the bottom of the stack. Mm-hmm. And, That's for sure. And so, yeah, and and it's nothing personal. It's just the process server gets paid differently than the private investigator. So I, I think I tried to draw that out in the article here uh, where a uh, skip trace is something I usually attribute to, and I know we all do it, we all call it skip tracing, but uh, in, the, in the context of a process server, it's, uh, they'll, they'll you know, access a proprietary database, give you a possible address, and you know, send that, hey, let, let's go try this address. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no verification done, there's no, um, uh, no confirmation that the subject is actually there. And uh, so sometimes it's just another address. It's not any good either. And when the chips are down and you've got to get the defendant served, uh, as I outlined in the article, you're going to have to spend the money and someone's going to have to do a diligent search to locate uh, and affect service on a hard-to-find defendant. So, Mark, let's let's back up a little bit just for the possibility of people that aren't private investigators or aren't attorneys. You know, because some people... I get a little unsettled when they're they feel like their privacy is being challenged or undermined, mm-hmm. and sure. this is a legal process. If you yeah. you know if if you had a case against another person, you would want them found. You would want them served to be a witness in your case or served to to respond to a summons and complain on a civil suit or whatever. You would want that to happen. Correct. At the same time, if you're the target of that investigation or that case, <laughs> that's the last thing you want. <laughs> that's probably the last thing you want. But it is. But it's sure. part of the legal process, and um, and I think uh, people kind of go astray with this, you know, with privacy often because they they think their their privacy certainly their privacy is theirs, but there's also the American way of open uh, sources as well. Yeah. Exactly. You have open sources. We, we live in a very different culture uh, than our European uh, neighbors and our Asian neighbors as well, a very different concept of privacy, um, which is a whole different conversation. But uh, there are, and I don't want to say sacrifices, but there are realities to be made when uh, we live in an uh, affluent, uh, marketing-driven age uh, where you know, we want to take advantage of that. And uh, one of the, uh, you know, I guess one of the um, 
uh, side effects of that is that there is a tremendous amount of information that we provide to um, uh, not just the government, but uh, 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 our customer, our customer services, uh, businesses, etc., so that we can enjoy the kind of lifestyle we've come to enjoy. Uh, so uh, again, it's a uh, you know it's probably a philo- philosophical uh, discussion, but the reality uh-huh. is is that uh, Americans live in a, a different cultural. Uh, environment towards privacy, and a lot of the information that we provide to the government is considered uh, public record. Uh, investigators, lawful uh, investigators operating under a code of ethics do not uh, obtain information uh, illegally. Uh, we just simply take advantage of uh, information that is available. Um, and I think in the context of locating uh, hard-to-find defendants, I'll, I'll use that word as in the civil context, not criminal mm-hmm. defendants, but hard-to-find mm-hmm. civil defendants, um, we use a variety of open-source uh, uh, information uh, property appraiser, tax collector, voter registration, proprietary databases, uh, Department of Motor Vehicle information. Social media has become a huge source of uh, identifying and locating individuals. We just did For one, sure. in fact, uh, this yeah, in forwarding up in uh, up in Maine, uh, hard to find defendant up in Maine. Uh, for a Florida case down here. So all kinds of different applications and scenarios. Yeah, for sure. So, so Mark, when you get a call from a client about locating somebody, tell me what your steps are. Well, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, first thing we want to do is determine, uh, the first thing I wanted to do is determine what's already been done. Have you hired a process server? Have you... Um, uh, have you attempted contact with the defendant? What do you know about the defendant? And typically, uh, I mean, it's a two-part process for the attorney. The plaintiff attorney, and I'm generally speaking here with the plaintiff personal injury attorneys, they have attempted to serve a lawsuit on the uh, adverse driver in a car crash or a, or a civil liability case. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've sent the process server there, and guess what? The guy's gone or the defendant mm-hmm. is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pay the process server 125, 150 bucks for a quote script trace. Come up with a different address. Boom, defendant isn't there either. Mm-hmm. And so now the clock is running. Uh, they have to find the defendant to get them served, and that's typically when I'll get called. Our agency will get called, and we will open up a not a skip trace, but a location investigation. And so that's really step one: is find out what's already been done. Uh, second thing we do is I want to prepare, I want to propose a budget to the client. Okay, so how much, you know, what's, what's your exposure? Uh, is this a, you know, $10,000 settlement case? Well, we're not going to spend $1,000 to find the guy. Or is this a significant, uh, significant exposure for your client with, you know, maybe $250,000, $300,000 at stake in a mm-hmm. settlement? So we want to propose a budget. And I never, I try never to leave, particularly plaintiff attorneys, uh, because all the money go, that doesn't go to the client has to come out of cost, and so they are very budget conscious. And I've just learned to propose a budget. Okay, listen, I think for 500 bucks we can get this far, or maybe 750 depending on what's already been done. Mm-hmm. And then we work within that budget. And then we maintain contact with the attorney to let them know what's going on. But once we have a budget in mind and we know what's been done, then we go through the ordinary, through the ordinary process that we would do to conduct a, a genuine location investigation. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and that's, uh, that probably sounds really high to people because you're – you know, you're just trying to locate somebody. How can it's going to cost yeah. five hundred and seven fifty? Why was why is yeah. that? 
because you know? they couldn't find them. Right, exactly. <laughs> the process, they've already spent, you figure they've already spent a couple hundred bucks on a process server, who, and they've already thrown 125 bucks into a, uh, maybe 150 bucks into a skip trace. So you've got two attempts at service, that's 100 bucks. You've got another 150 bucks for a skip trace. You're out 250, and you don't have the defendant served. And so, mm-hmm. like I said, they call private investigators as a last resort because they have to get them served. And by this time, they already know what the case is worth. They know they have to get service on the defendant because oftentimes it's not about the defendant. It's about getting coverage from the insurance company. If they don't serve the defendant, they can't get the insurance company to the table. And so consequently, the defendant is really the entree, the open door to where the money is with the insurance company. Okay. Okay. So that's, I think that's how we justify the cost to them. And let me tell you, Francie, sometimes it's a lot more money than that. Sometimes it is, because sometimes you'll have a, we, mm-hmm. we, I, I think I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I gave an illustration, uh, well, we just did one here uh, today, had a defendant involved in the case. I mean, it's the, uh, the client, the plaintiff uh, suffered some serious injuries, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in surgery. There's a lot of money at stake. And we tracked this guy from Florida to Colorado and finally located him in Maine. And wow. he was not cooperative with the, with the attorney's process server. They called us to try to get an address. I retained a local investigator who put some boots on the ground, located the guy's vehicle, followed him around, and got service on him. Right. But, I mean, that, that wasn't cheap. Right. Of course but, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it's not. Yeah. But, fortunately, because we've been doing it a long time, we have good clients, uh, we, we discuss a budget with them in advance, we know what the deadlines are. We understand their business. They they trust us, and so that that gives them a. a they, they know I'm not just going to hand them a big bill and come up with nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the process of locating people, as you know from your own experience, it, it's science and art, and it sure. just really requires a feel for how you know how relationships work, where the information is. Uh, you've done this a thousand times yourself. You know, you've come up with a key witness in a criminal case that nobody could find, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> <You're> just, and, <laughs> it, it isn't magic, but it's art and science, right? And and sometimes it's just pure luck. Exactly. You just happened to cross paths, and you didn't even expect it. <laughs> no, I know, it's a serendipity. But yeah. most often, it's just... Uh, Particularly with, with you know, people who've been in the business a while, you get an intuition from looking at someone's database report, from looking at their social media profiles. You can pick out a little, I, I figured out where this guy's neighborhood was because of a reference like, like you know, 40 posts down in his Twitter feed or in his uh, Facebook feed, mm-hmm. you know. It doesn't give me his address, but it tells me his neighborhood. Okay, good. So now I start looking in there, and that's what led us to send the investigator to that location. Right, yeah. Art and science. Right, exactly. And, and at that point, did you, have, did you have a vehicle for him? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. uh, Part of the database report was that we had identified. It was the same vehicle he'd been involved with the crash with. So oh, okay. uh, we thought it been, we thought it might have been totaled, but it wasn't. The registration was uh, had been renewed recently to an address in Florida, uh, but we we suspected he was in Maine. So when I gave the local investigator the the neighborhood parameters, uh, she was able to drive through there and spot the vehicle. 
uh, a Florida, a, a white Florida pickup truck with floor, uh, a white pickup truck with Florida tags on it. Well, how much better yeah, can you get? That's true. And I and my question was: it the social media that that determined he was in Maine? Yes, because the addresses showed him in, uh, and he had given another process server an address in Colorado uh, that he, so uh, like a seasonal worker working, uh, you know, working the resort communities in Maine and in Colorado, he goes back and forth, and mm-hmm. he had been in Colorado at one address, but the process server got there late, uh, the original process server got there late and missed him. Well, then they had a fallback address in Maine, but uh, it's a tight-knit community among the seasonal employees. So the people working at the, quote, hotel where he's supposed to live, he said, well, he just gets his mail here, but he doesn't live here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're, we're, how are we going to find him? And so we had a couple of possible locations, and we had the, the social media profile that let me know from that one single entry, about 40 entry a post down, I knew where he was at least like four or five days before. Um, watching the NFL draft, believe it or not. Oh, that's funny. And posting, <laughs> posting stream of consciousness on his Facebook page. So, so I think I woke up my neighbors and all in such and such a neighborhood. So that's uh, that funny. helped. That, that definitely helps. Mark, we're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. This is sure. fascinating. Thank you. No worries. Okay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to PIs Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F R A N C I E at PIsDeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. 
Yes, I'm here today. My guest is Mark Mernon. He's the President and Chief Investigator of Complete Legal Investigations Incorporated in Palm Beach, Florida, that he shares his business with his wife, Wendy. And uh, we're talking today about locating people, not skip tracing, but actually locating them physically. So, Mark, um, you know, uh, you've got, I know you have lots of ideas, but share some of those with us on how you, how you go about doing this. Well, we were we were talking during the break about a couple of a uh, couple of examples. Everybody loves uh, case uh, case studies here. We had a couple of them. Like one of them I call the Care Bear case, and the other one was the Workout Girl. So we, uh, uh, but. Uh, uh, the uh, the workout girl was really interesting in that w- it was a combination again of social media and proprietary databases and just some intuition um, and also a good pretext uh, that we had uh, it was a, a young woman a, a an adverse uh, driver in a uh, crash case uh, where a lot of these come up and uh, they could not they they had an address in uh, actually in Broward County in Fort Lauderdale where where her grandparents lived. And the server had been there four or five, six times, and they said they finally told her, "Look, she doesn't live here. We don't know where she is." Covering for their granddaughter, which I would do in the exact same circumstance. Um, so we're we're left with a defendant, uh, defendant, civil defendant. We don't know where she lives. We should suspect she's living with her boyfriend. Have no idea who that is. The proprietary databases don't provide us with anything, but we do have an Instagram account. And that Instagram account, on that Instagram account, it turns out that she is promoting herself as a personal trainer. Mm. And she's working with a, a company that hires personal trainers for, uh, I guess you call them boot camp. Uh, mm-hmm. Boot camp. Right. I know you're familiar with those from your own life. Uh, yep. Yep. Can I call you Marathon Woman? Is that okay? No, you can't. Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> mud, t- tough mudder. But, uh, so it was a boot camp. It, it, was, it was a boot, boot camp. camp in, uh, yeah. It was a boot camp in, uh, uh, we, we found out she was working through a, a series of locations. And so I, I have a, an associate, Nina Martinez, down in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Nina is terrific. Um, she is from Venezuela, obviously bilingual, uh, went to law school, but just loves investigations. And ah. so um, I asked her to, you know, put up a pretext. And so she made contact with the, at the phone number uh, for uh, the defendant. Um, and that was coordinated. Just wanted to find out where this particular trainer was going to be doing a boot camp because she'd heard about it and just wanted to be part of it. And mm-hmm. so... We, uh, I had a photograph of the defendant who was the sole Caucasian female in a, group, in a boot camp filled with African-American women. So she was easier to spot. And mm-hmm. so we sent, uh, we sent Nina uh, to the boot camp, which turned out to be in a, a neighborhood north of Fort Lauderdale, in a community north of Fort Lauderdale, at, uh, like I think, 5 p.m. on a Monday evening. And Nina... Uh, arranged to meet with a uh, certified process server in Broward County. They have to have a particular type of process server. So we coordinated that with the law firm, with the process server. My investigator was there. Uh, Nina showed up for the class, obviously very easily identified the defendant, and boom, got her served. And Mm -hmm. that's simply just a combination of art, science, luck, and the right people at the right time. Right, which right. Uh, which is uh, which is a big which is a big part of these locate investigations. So, Mark, what do you do if you have an address 
you have confirmed the person's there. I mean, they're you know you've identified their car, their car's parked there. Um, you you every, everything leads to that person lives there, but nobody answers the door. What do you do with that? Right. Uh, it, it again, depending on the circumstances, we had a um, uh, we had a physician uh, who was uh, confined to a wheelchair, uh, and I actually. We weren't sure where he was. I actually went to the door because I was in the neighborhood, went to the door and just knocked. And I could see him rolling out toward the front in a wheelchair. So I knew he was there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I couldn't serve the papers to him. He's not going to open the door to answer. So literally what we had to do was set up a surveillance on the site and his wife uh, wait wait for somebody to pull in who lived there. Uh, he was living there with his wife. We, uh, my investigators were were present. Uh, one of them being a certified process server. Uh, he, we did this over several days, just uh, you know, three or four hours at a time. But one morning, uh, the wife pulled out and I think moved a garbage can, and our investigator was there to serve uh, the wife as a co-resident of mm. the defendant, as a co-resident of the house where the defendant was living. Okay. Uh, that was sufficient. Sometimes you just can't get the defendant himself or herself for whatever reason. Right. Uh, we we chased another uh, a guy who owns a bar here in uh, the West Palm Beach area. Chased him all over Helen Creation. Uh, finally, uh, figured out where he was living. Set up a set up a surveillance with a process server there, and she got him as he was walking his dog. Mm-hmm. But that was that took months because he just didn't want to be found. Right. So, I mean, these are all these are all again um, significant lawsuits, uh, which mm-hmm. are probably beyond the, the ordinary ten thousand dollar policy limit. Um, but there's a lot of money in these plaintiff cases and these negligence cases, and the attorneys who um, good a good law firm who is well known in the community is going to invest the time and effort uh, and the funds to, uh, to secure that service because without serving the defendant, the case has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. So now you, you keep saying certified, a certified process server in, in Florida, does the process server have to be a certified process server? Yes. Yeah. We have a, we have a, um, a statutory requirement that, uh, calls for the, uh, uh, certification of individuals who are of good moral character, who uh, have um, uh, undergone the training required by the individual county clerk. Um, some counties, like Broward County, where Fort Lauderdale is, require a special process server designation that's given out by the sheriff. None of the other counties I'm aware of do that. Uh, however, you still require certification by the local court, uh, attend a class, etc. And so uh, we have a uh, group of professionals, uh, professional process servers, um, throughout you know throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're part of the National Association of Professional NAPPS, I think, National Association mm-hmm. of uh, Professional Process Servers. Right. And, and I always encu- I always encourage uh, licensed private investigators to have good relationships with uh, with process servers. I don't personally feel that the two professions are. Um, are compatible 
Um, I've often argued that if you're a good process server, you are too busy to uh, do really quality investigations. And if yeah. you're a good investigator, you really don't have time to be running around serving $50 papers. Right. So uh, I, I make a distinction, and I'm aware that that, you know, that isn't necessarily you know, common thinking. Uh, but if you're good at what you do, you should devote all of your time to it. I totally and agree with I, you. Yeah, I don't have any time to sit outside and serve somebody an eviction notice for fifty bucks. You know, I'm charging. You know, I'm charging my hourly rate here, which is significantly higher than that, and I can make that. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting down at my desk on a half hour. So, mm-hmm. you know, but a busy process server performs an invaluable function, uh, but they just don't have the time or the resources necessary to get these hard to find defendants. Well, and, and so they're doing I, they're. Their yep. business is on volume, too, where ours is not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're a transactional, and we're an hourly rate, and it's two different revenue two different, different revenue models, and I think you create disharmony within your own business model by trying to do two things and be great at both. Well, the, certainly the laws vary across the, the country on all, on all these issues, private investigator licensing, mm-hmm. process server licensing. Yeah. Uh, as restrictive as California is, all you have to do to get a process server's license is to go to the county, your county seat, and right. fill out an application and give your fingerprints and pay the fee. <laughs> yeah, and, wow. and, and the interesting part about that is in order to serve financial papers like garnishments and things like that, right. uh, you have to be a process server, a, a registered process server. Like, oh. uh, So private investigators in California and a lot of other states, we serve process. Um, I only do it if it's my, my own case, where it's witnesses right. in my own case. Um, Correct. But I could... I could. The law says up to ten a year. Um, oh wow! But they don't. It's not enforced either. <laughs> so <laughs> no one's there uh, counting. Yes. Oh, Francie's at nine, and it's only September. No, nobody's doing that. <laughs> uh, the Process Servers Association doesn't like that, of course. And you know, there's yeah. a little conflict there. But but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. And I so every time you said certified process server, I thought, huh? Then they must have a have a law regarding that. So, yeah. interesting. Yeah, there's coursework. And, and again, I, I think we should be having, uh, I, don't, I don't see myself as a competitor to process servers. I find the process service business to be very competitive and cut rate mm-hmm. because, you know, attorneys can be notoriously cheap. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, frugal. Let me say frugal. Did I say cheap? <laughs> I meant frugal. No, I but didn't hear they're, you say they're, yeah, but I mean, you know, so one guy will do it for forty dollars, another guy will do it for thirty-eight. You know, so I find I, I'm not going to compete at that at that at that price point. I'm not I'm not interested in that. But I also want to avail myself when a process server you know needs some help, and I want I have two objectives in that scenario. I want the attorney to look good, and I want the process server to look good. And if I can facilitate that as a middleman and get the process and get that get that thing done. He's happy. The attorney's happy. I'm happy, uh, and so I see it as more of a um, not a competition, uh, but compatible skill sets or, or um, complementary skill sets might be a better word. Um, and then freeze him up. I mean, if I'm working on the locate, then the then the process server can go out and serve half a dozen papers, make you know four or five hundred bucks, 
while I'm making my money conducting the locate, and then I coordinate with the process server, hey, go here, go there, uh, this is where we think he's at. And when I do a locate, Francie, I give them a vehicle description from uh, Department of Motor Vehicles. I give them a social media picture so they know who they're looking for. They know what the uh, defendant is driving. They may, we may even be able to find a place of employment. So he's not just going there or she's not just going there at random and knocking on a door. She's going to know what the guy, what the drive, uh, what, what he's driving, what the uh, defendant's driving, uh, where he's living, and what he looks like when he opens the door. Mm-hmm. So it's that, mm-hmm. it's that little bit of extra steps over there that makes the process server's job easier and facilitates that, um, that service. Because that's the right. end result is getting the defendant served. Absolutely. Now, so have you run into situations, Mark, where the person was really angry and maybe even threatened you or maybe even pulled out a weapon? Oh, that's been a long time. I remember repoing cars in the early days in Omaha, Nebraska, and some guy came out with a tire iron, but uh, I was <laughs> I was driving faster than he was he was running. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> that's been many years. No, you know what? I, I'm not a process server myself. You and I get into some of those situations when we just knock on a door in a homicide case or something like that, right? Right. Somebody, somebody's having a bad day, and I just back up really fast. Mm-hmm. But uh, for process servers, I-, I would say it can be a very dicey situation, and I've heard stories. I've not experienced them directly, but sometimes they'll get mad, and you know what? They're still served at the end of the day. You know, it's just it's just part of the uh, just part of the equation. Unfortunately, you're dealing bad news to people, and sometimes on any given day, anybody can respond in any type of manner. So, just my my word to everybody is yeah. just be cautious. So in Florida, do you actually have to hand it to them, or can you lay it down in front of them and say you've been served? Yeah, you can. Yeah, I don't think there's anything where they have to sign off on it. The process server uh, provides what we call a return of service. It's an affidavit in which the server documents the uh, date the uh, summons was received, uh, the date it was served, and the circumstances of serving. Um, I received the summons on uh, uh, April 29th, uh, served the defendant on uh, May 7th in such and such a location, such and such a time, um, confirmed his identity through a Facebook social media a picture, and left it, uh, uh, left it with him. Uh, there doesn't have to be a handoff or a sign-off on the, uh, on the summons. Mm-hmm. And I think the general public often thinks that they have to actually receive it in their hand. And, of course, uh, at least in, in California, I don't know about other places, that isn't required. Um, yeah, what do you come up with a guy with no hands? I mean, you know, you, 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 know, <laughs> you know, I never thought of that. No, no, no. That's just something that goes through my fevered imagination. No, you can't. You can't. You know, people aren't going to accept them. It doesn't mean they're not served. You just have to notify. You just have to notice in the affidavit where the summons was left. Uh, defendant refused it. I placed it. I placed it at his front door here after advising him of the contents therein. Off you go. And now, uh, process servers are. are um, uh, uh, technology adapters like everybody else. A lot of process servers are taking photographs. Yep. Uh, and in fact, yep. on one, uh, the Care Bear case that we uh, talked about where we had to use, uh, end up using a GPS device and a stuffed animal to finally locate, uh, I, was, I was present with the process server because I had spent six months trying to find this defendant, and I was mm-hmm. definitely going to be there at the close. And I took a picture of the defendant as the server uh, handed the paper through the open door. Uh, just for my own, just for my own collection. Right. 
the process servers are, are very savvy. They, they note the date. They note the time. They take a picture. If there's a vehicle there, uh, they'll, um, they will um, mark down the license plate. Uh, and those are all things that I think good process servers who are, you know, are probably skilled investigators to a degree themselves uh, should always be doing. If you have a hard serve to do, you, as a process server, you need to be noting uh, the names of the people you speak with, their appearances, a oh, Hispanic male driving a, you know, a, a Ford SUV, Florida license plate, such and such. Because mm-hmm. when I get the case, I always ask for the server's notes because sometimes the server makes an observation that is critically helpful in identifying and locating the defendant. They just don't know it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I'll get a license plate or a description using social media or open source. Uh, I can tell that, hey, look, and that's the brother of the defendant, and now I know where else to look. Does that make sense? Right. That makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yeah, so those are all things that process servers can be doing to facilitate uh, a uh, collaboration with a private investigator who has the resources and the time, frankly, that the server often doesn't. So, Mark, how do you um, – okay, I want to come back to the Care Bear case because that's a really interesting case, but in a minute when we, after we take a break. Okay. How do you determine okay. on a difficult serve how much to charge your client? Well, again, by setting a budget. I think is a sure way to do it. And my clients know that, and I tell them, look, we're going to set a budget. If we can bring it in for less than this, we will. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have wonderful clients who've been with us for years. And I I always try to make the nickel fall on their side rather than my side. But frankly, you know, you do hundreds of these things over the years. I know it's going to take four to five hours of research. Uh, depending on the circumstance of the case, uh, I know what I charge per hour. So I have my, I have my, you know, set hourly rate. I've already got that number in my mind. I know it's going to be, you know, 50 to $75 worth of data costs. And I build that in. And so I know that if I, if I set a budget of 750 bucks, I know I got, you know, four to four and a half hours of research and some data costs built in. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. oftentimes I can bring it in for less. Sometimes it only takes me two hours. Right. And I've set a budget of 750, but I may be able to get the job done for 450 bucks. And hey, fantastic! That's what I bill the client. I don't I don't work on retainer with them. You know, these are all good good clients we worked with for years. They pay my bills, but they know that okay. Look, I know Mark's got it. It's not going to go over seven fifty. And I tell them, look, if I get to the end of that, and I tell you, I think I'm close, but I think it's going to cost another three to four hours more. Then mm-hmm. they're ready for it. But they've and got they a, they've got a cap. You, yeah, yeah. They love it when you come under yeah. budget. That's yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, Mark. We'll be right back. Sounds good. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 
C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. As I mentioned before, I'm here with Mark Mernon from uh, Florida, who's a licensed private investigator there. And Mark, you have a great story. You mentioned the Care Bear story. Tell us about what happened with that. All right. Well, before that, I got to know how you got Peter Graves, a.k.a. Jim Phelps, to do your voiceovers. That's just amazing. (laughs) How did that happen, Brandy? I love it. Yeah. Well, the, the Care Bear case came uh, came as a result of what I call the hard to find defendant, and this was a classic case. This is a um, this is an Asian who had gone off the grid. Um, very little proprietary database information. We had a crash report with a vehicle description. The vehicle was no longer uh, in use or registered. We she showed up at the same uh, pack mail. Well, not pack mail, but a, like a UPS type store. Um, as, a, as an address, a, a private mailbox. I guess that's what they call them, a private mailbox. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have those in California as well. I've run right. into some of those. Um, and the private mailbox is not obligated to provide a uh, provide an address for a uh, – they're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act, with like a U.S. post office. If you are pursuing litigation, you can send a letter to the uh, forwarding, uh, for a forwarding address for a post office box or a box holder. Uh, and they'll provide the last known address. That was not the case here with this private mailbox. And we conducted surveillance on the uh, home of the father of her children. Nothing. Tried a dozen different places of possible employment. Uh, nothing, which you know was e- either uh, or you know Chinese restaurants uh, or the food industry in some some fashion. And had just spent literally several thousand dollars and gotten nothing. Uh, and it was a multi-million dollar case. Uh, mm-hmm. it, she was she was the nexus between two different insurance policies, which had huge coverage. But without serving her, the attorney could not get the insurance companies to the table to discuss a settlement. Right. And so there was a lot of money at play. And we, she, the one thing we knew about her is that she was uh, also uh, working as a certified nursing assistant, what we call a CNA. I'm sure they have mm-hmm. something similar. Yeah. Uh, they used exactly. to be the LPN, licensed uh, private nurse, uh, licensed pra- practical nurse. But she was a CNA who had just gotten her license renewed. And the license had been sent to her private mailbox, the only mm-hmm. address that we had. And so I talked to the attorney about it, and uh, this is several years ago. Uh, but we came up with the idea of 
of trying of, of of drafting a pretext recruiting letter uh, with a fictitious healthcare agency. And what I drafted was, we are looking for healthcare providers. We see you just renewed your license. We are looking for. Um, uh, uh, nursing assistants in your area, contact us at 1-800-thus-and-so for high-paying jobs and quality locations. Mm-hmm. You know, a marketing piece. But we had to figure out how to get this GPS device, which is about the size, as you know, of, a, of like, what do, you, what do you call it now? A small, like a flip phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, a right. small flip phone. And that wasn't cheap. The whole thing was, such, and then we... We got. We, we hope that she even picks it up. It was just like I call the the, the classic hail mary. You're down six points. You got to have a touchdown. You're down to three seconds. You let it fly, mm-hmm. and you know we see what happens. So we did it. We drafted the letter. Uh, Wendy bought. My wife bought a uh, stuffed animal. Uh, we took out some of the in workings and tucked this uh, GPS device in there. Uh, turned it on. And took it to our own uh, post office, private mailbox store, shipped it out, and then I sat and watched that screen for two days. Oh my goodness! And we watched that we watched that box go from uh, our our you know our local one uh, down about twenty miles south. It stopped at a couple of different locations, and before <laughs> it finally, like the next afternoon, which was a Friday, uh, it showed up about Friday about noon at the uh, private mailbox location down in West Palm Beach, where the subject you know was picking up her mail. Mm-hmm. And so we just waited, and then I got an alert about five p.m. that the package was moving. So we knew that it had that it had been picked up. Mm-hmm. So. We, we, it goes about a half mile away to a large apartment complex, which is gated and guarded, so we can't just pull in. And it was Friday afternoon. So Monday, I arranged with my, uh, the gentleman I was working process with, uh, arranged for the process server and I to uh, meet and then go to this apartment complex. Well, so there's like 20 apartments in this building, and we don't know where it is. Right. So we just start knocking on doors. And finally, I, yeah, I, you know, you do this long enough, Francie, you get kind of a sixth sense. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we go to doors and finally hit a door and you could hear voices on the inside. And I knocked and they stopped talking. I knocked again and nothing. And finally, I pounded on the door and yelled, maintenance. No, no, I said management, management. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the door kind of opened up. And sure enough, it's, it's the defendant. Wow. And we hand her, we hand her, the process server hands the paper. I'm about four feet back and I'm taking a picture of it because I don't want this sliding away anywhere. Mm-hmm. Get a picture of her receiving the paperwork and we're out of there. But I mean, that took six months. And, and literally, yeah, thousands of dollars to the attorney. And you know, it was all justified. I documented all the steps we took and this was literally a last ditch Hail Mary effort because I was out of ideas. So the GPS she, went was, dead. Go ahead. Was she, was she avoiding service? You know, I don't even, I don't know. She was avoiding something. Let me put okay. it that way. She was avoiding something because she had gone to great pains to secure herself. The, the address, the apartment she was living in didn't show up in her name. Uh, it belonged to somebody else who I had no idea who that was. Uh, she had a, I think she had her son with her, a teenage son with her, but I, I still to this day have no idea what that was all about. 
you know, very few people go off the grid. Right. Uh, you know, we, we have some undocumented, uh, we have some undocumented immigrants who are just, you know, they're living with family members. They're not trying to be, uh, not trying to conceal themselves, but there was something going on here, which, you know, we just, we didn't know um, and never found out, but we did get her served, which was really the only thing in the end that mattered. And sometimes it's just a lot of debt. It's nothing uh, nefarious. It's oh, yeah. just that they owe, owe people a lot of money, and they don't want to be, yeah. you know, they don't want to be caught. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want anybody to catch up with them. <clears throat> but she drove a car. She, mm-hmm. you know, she had a nice apartment. It wasn't a dump. I mean, she had a nice apartment. I, I just don't know the circumstances. And, again, the only thing that mattered was Hail Mary, catch the pass, get the touchdown. We win the game. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. It's it's all about the uh, the end result for sure. Yep. So um, yep. so a lot of times uh, I think you probably run into this mark where the uh, case is settled, the attorneys trying to distribute the checks, and for yep. some reason or another, one person won't sign off on the settlement to for, <laughs> for them to get the check. Have you run I into don't that? need the money. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. So I had a situation like that. It actually came from Florida. It was a law firm in Florida, who I won't mention, mm-hmm. but I know you know them. Um, and they had a woman here in California whose husband had passed away, and this was the settlement for the estate. And there were stepchildren involved, the, the children of the decedent. And right. she was having a war with them. They weren't getting along. And she was right. elderly. And she just, she wouldn't return their calls. I mean, it was just, it was a locate. It, it was just what you're saying. It's a locate. So as it turned out, she was uh, elderly and a little paranoid. And <laughs> we finally got the deed done. But it was, uh, it was a process because she was living with her sister and she was afraid that her sister would kill her for if she got the money. And, uh, and it was all about a little dementia. And so I agreed sure. to meet with her. At a, uh, right. a location of her choosing, and we would go to right. the bank and open up a bank account in her name that nobody would right. know about. <laughs> so sometimes you have to go to great lengths. Absolutely. Uh, to get the job she finally said, you know, she finally took the checks and signed off on it. But it was it took a while. Yeah, because people are so interesting, but they've got so many things going on. I remember a case where you tracked down a debtor uh, on a case we had here in Florida, and you tracked him down to someplace, I want to say, in Walnut Grove. It may have been an insurance agent or something like that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, Walnut Walnut Creek. Walnut Creek, not Walnut Grove. Yeah. Walnut Creek, yeah. You had to go up there and you sat up on them and you tracked them down for us. Oh, and these these was, cases take you all yeah. over the country. He was avoiding service, for sure. <laughs> There's no question about that. But, well, you know, we're talking about creative things. You know, sometimes you just have to kind of sit quietly and say, okay, what is the best way to get to this person? And we had yeah. a, I, I have a friend, um, a close. Uh, not a close friend, but he's a, a colleague, and mm-hmm. his sister went off the his sister in law. I'm sorry, sister in law went off the grid, and the mother and his wife were really concerned that she'd done something to herself. That she, that she, somehow they decided she was probably homeless, living under a you know highway someplace. I mean, there's all kinds of things right. that were going. On. 
and uh, they didn't know where she was. So I found uh, I found the address, and but we knew she was unreachable, and but we also knew she had a son, a teenage son, mm-hmm. and we also they had a dog. So we created okay. a survey uh, that we are going to be opening up a doggy daycare. <laughs> Uh, at the at the mall that was about two blocks away in this little strip center, and we created right. a survey of about ten questions, and with pictures of dogs on it, and uh, we had about five dollar Starbucks cards, and if the person <laughs> would help us complete the survey, they got a Starbucks card. Well, we didn't get to the woman and her son, but we did get to the neighbor in the laundry room. Who knew everything about everybody? <laughs> and Which so is we oftentimes able, even better. <laughs> yeah. So we were able to confirm that she did live there, the son's name. They knew the people, that they were fine. They knew where she worked, the whole thing. And all the family cared about was that she was okay. And the oh, whole yeah. issue was that somebody had reported her to Child Protective Services five years ago, and she thought it was oh, a family. Wow. It wasn't. Oh, it was wow. Yeah. But, um, but isn't it funny how people respond? They're not, they're not rational at times, but they are driven by emotions that you and I just don't have any comprehension about when we walk into these scenarios. Right. And, and we don't know what's gone on ahead of when our involvement either. You know, we right, often don't exactly. know what all the dynamics are. Yeah. No. That's what makes it interesting, isn't it, Francie? Very much so. And this has been fun, Mark. I'm so glad you've been on the show today. Thank you so much. Uh, we're Thank you almost, for having me, Francie. Almost out of time. But do you have any last words you want to tell folks uh, that you would give as advice? Be creative. Think outside the box. I know that's kind of a pro, uh, pro forma statement we make over there. But listen, anything is possible. People are... Uh, predictable only in numbers and it's up to you as the investigator to uh, use your imagination your skill and remember that it's always it's a combination of art and science in the in the in the uh, uh, in the discipline of finding people and you know sometimes it's just uh, just being straightforward i have a subpoena for yeah. you <laughs> and yeah. i go oh, oh. what's that about <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but I'll give it to you, and you can find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call this attorney. His number's right here. There you go. <laughs> oh, thank you, Francie. Uh, We've been yeah, a, been a great pleasure, as always. All right. Take care, Mark. Um, and to the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for listening.